Good morning. My name is Stephanie, and I have been helping out at Connect Central and Down with Our Kids every other week or so, and it's awesome to see all the adults up here. Uh, I'm going to be reading the scripture this morning. We're starting in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. If you have your Bible, feel free to open it and follow along, or it will be up on the screen as well. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons of God, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Awesome. Thank you, Stephanie. Let me pray for us. Oh, Jesus, thank you this morning for the words that you have for us. Lord, thank you so much for uh, what you want to speak to us this morning. God, we ask that you would allow us uh, to have a sense of your presence, that you would allow us to have a sense of your ministry in our lives, Lord, that you would allow us to experience you this morning by the power of your spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So glad that you're here this morning. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being a part of Outward Church and uh, um, hanging out with us here. Um, if, you, if this is your first time, you know, we are a, uh, a church plant from Salem, um, uh, I was able to start Outward Church along with a lot of other people in 2007. And then we uh, just, uh, I, I think it was, I don't know, several weeks ago. And in fact, it was, it was a lot longer than that. It was probably six months ago, maybe uh, longer uh, ago, when we kind of came to the conclusion that we felt like the Lord is leading us to plant a church in Silverton. And so here we are, and uh, we're just getting started. And so now we're just praying about where the Lord would lead us in the, in the wintertime, because this is obviously going to get breezy um, in here. And so um, we will not have the problem of, of heat at that point. And so um, we'll, uh, we'll be doing that. And the Lord just continues to bless us um, in, in this endeavor. And, and one way that that's happening is that uh, Calvary Chapel in Salem uh, just uh, donated, uh, I believe it's 185 chairs to us. Um, so we've been renting these chairs, and so that's been an expense. And so praise God for that. Uh, that's pretty cool. We'll be trying to go get those chairs, I believe, this week. Uh, as long as everything works out according to plan. I just got back from uh, like 10 days on the road with my children uh, in a car, a, a, a suburban that felt like a Cracker Jack box uh, with four kids. And uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it was interesting. And, and it was good. We enjoyed being with our kids. Um, that was awesome. We got evacuated out of a theme park. That was something fun I hadn't done before. Um, there was a fire that got started in, in the brush nearby, and so that was, that was exciting, and that prolonged and, and enabled me to go to a theme park twice um, with my kids. But we, we enjoyed it, 
And uh, the kids enjoyed the heck out of it, that's for sure. And so um, anyway, I only went on one uh, crazy ride, which was called the Stunt Pilot. Somehow I ended up in this line with my children, and then I was, felt like I was being shamed if I didn't go on this ride. And I, I, I'm getting on this ride, and you're, you know, you know, you get the click, 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 click as you're going up to the top, and and I think you're 100 feet in the air. Is that right, Ben? More than 100 feet up in the air. You come around this corner, and then I just think to myself, and I, I didn't think this. I yelled it. I was by myself in the seat, so I could cry like a baby. And I and I was by myself in the seat, and I was like, Why did I do this? Why? Why did I say I would do this? Like, this is, I, oh my gosh. And then it just goes straight down, and it was horrific. Upside down, all the way around. Oh, man, terrible. So, anyway, we are in uh, the book of Galatians. We're in Galatians chapter 3. We'll be picking it up in verse 26. Uh, the Apostle Paul wants you to know that you cannot act like a slave in your relationship with God. And that if, if you believe that having a relationship with God means following all the rules, you're living as a slave, you're living as a prisoner, you're living as, as a child, you're living as someone who does not understand the gospel. We started off with the book of Galatians here at Outward Church in Silverton, and actually we, we uh, are teaching that in Salem as well. And, and the reason is this, is because we need to understand what it means to have relationship with God, what it means to actually have relationship with him, what it means to, um, to experience him fully. Many people understand the idea, uh, if you've been a part of the church at all, that like it's only by grace, I can't work my way into salvation but what they don't get is the experience as well. Many people believe that their status has changed, that their status before God has changed, but then they, they don't experience that status change. They don't experience something new in their life. They don't have an experience of relationship with God that, that actually uh, drives them towards a deeper and deeper love relationship with God. What God is inviting you to is he is inviting you into a family relationship. He's not inviting you to obey all the rules. And the Apostle Paul is speaking to a group of people. Uh, it's a new church like this. It's a new church, and, and there's people who have kind of crept into that church. And they've begun to say, no, what you need to do is you need to be, become like a Jew. That means you need to be circumcised. You need to follow all the rules. You need to follow all of those rules, and then maybe God will accept you. Now, this whole idea of, of sonship, this idea of relationship, like I'm a child of God, and like, what does that mean? It, it's lost on me on some level. As I was growing up as a kid, I didn't have a great experience in my home. I didn't have a great relationship uh, with my father. I didn't have a great relationship in my home. And as a result, when I think of God as father, when I think of God as, as the one that wants me to have a relationship with him, it gets lost on me. And so it takes me a little while. So as I'm studying for this sermon this week, and I'm, and I'm sitting there just going, man, Lord, why doesn't this speak to me? In some ways, it doesn't speak to me because I'm always thinking back to what was my relationship like with my father and then like extending that to uh, my heavenly father and it just doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't 
work for me. It doesn't cause me to have new feelings. And so what's required of me is that I have to drink deeply of this passage. Maybe you're in that type of a scenario as well. Maybe you had a rough upbringing as well, and maybe that needs to be something that that allows you to experience. Uh, Maybe you need to look into this deeply, like I do, so that we can come to a, a new place, a new understanding of what it looks like to have a relationship with God. Jesus not only wants us to experience the status of the relationship that we have with God, but he wants us to experience him fully. So why should I even care about this? Why why should you listen right now? Why should you uh, hear me in this? You could spend your entire life living as a slave. You could spend your entire life living as a slave of all the rules. You could spend your entire life living as a, a slave, as a prisoner of some kind of relationship with God. There's churches even in this town. There's churches in our town, uh, in, in, in Salem, that teach this idea of you've got to be a slave, otherwise God will reject you. And if you get that wrong, you will miss the true experience of having God as your father who loves you deeply. So if you were to look back with me at verse 23, it says this. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until, uh, until the coming faith would be revealed. The Apostle Paul wants you, to, wants you to see that before there was faith in Jesus Christ, before Jesus came on, on the scene, there were many, many people who were imprisoned by the law, by God's design. God had brought this law. And what is the law? The law is the rules. It's all the rules of religion. It's the Ten Commandments. It's the rules that we're, we know that we're supposed to follow. Don't drink, smoke, or chew. Or go with girls that do. Uh, don't, uh, don't act this way. Don't, don't, this is very pertinent here in, in Silverton, probably. Uh, but but uh, it, we know the rules that we are supposed to be following. God allowed that law. In fact, God brought that law into the world in order to show us something, in order to reveal something to us, in order to reveal how enslaved we were. It would be like if everyone had a particular type of cancer. Maybe something got in the water. All the water in the world is bad, and now everybody has this kind of cancer. But no one wants to believe that they have this type of cancer. And so one doctor creates an x-ray machine, and all you have to do is walk in front of it, and you look at it, and you just go, boom, there it is. I I have the cancer. The law does that. The law is the x-ray machine. And when you put it over your life, and you see all of this, there's a cancer here, there's a cancer there. And pretty soon, what you find out is you find out, I am full of cancer. God brought the law. God brought the rules to show us and create an urgency, a necessity for Jesus Christ. God brought that so that we would then come to a point where we'd say, oh, I need Jesus. The problem with the people in Galatia was that they weren't running to Jesus. They were running to law. They were running to the x-ray machine. They were like, all I need to know is how bad I am. And then I just need to fix this myself. But what this is saying is something different. Paul's trying to prove this point over and over again, and he's proving it again here. So they are imprisoned. Pick it up in verse uh, uh, 25, actually. But now that faith has come, 
We are no longer under a guardian. The law, the rules are called a guardian. They protect us in some way. Let me just explain that for just a second. A guardian, you know how we have all the rules today? The laws that we have, they protect our society. They keep us from getting totally uh, you know, out of control. Um, you know, like say rioting in the streets and burning and all that stuff. Like the, the rules keep us from that. <laughs> or they should. Uh, okay. Okay, so verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. That's what Paul wants to say. I want you to skip all the way down to the end of our passage that we're reading today, and I want you to read verse 7. Verse 7 says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So the reason why I want to show that to you is this, is that this can be kind of a complicated passage. It took me a long time to kind of pull it apart and just go, okay, what is it saying here? What's this stuff about heirs and adoption and sons and slavery and guardians and all this stuff? I, what I want you to know is that what God wants you to know right here and right now is this, is that you are sons of God through faith and that as a result of that, you are a son of Abraham and therefore all the promises that came to Abraham can come to you. Now, why is that important? Why should you care? Well, it's because of this, because God offered Abraham an amazing promise that was only by faith. It wasn't, say, it wasn't, Abraham, I want you to obey all of these rules. God didn't give him rules. God gave him a promise. And it was a good promise. It was a promise that like, hey, you're going to have a son and it is through your family that all the families of the world are going to be blessed. And that's because Jesus is going to come through your family. So when it says, okay, you're a son of God, and as a result, you're, you're a son of Abraham. You are somebody who's received the promises that God gave to Abraham. What that does for you and for me is that it now connects us to all of the meaning throughout all of time. Do you know what our world is trying to tell you today? Everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Gender is meaningless. Life is meaningless. Sex is meaningless. Uh, all, everything that could possibly be is meaningless. Religion is meaningless. This is meaningless. That's meaningless. Our world is increasingly, increasingly trying to tell you that life is meaningless. No wonder we have such horrific statistics of all of the bad things that are happening. We got kiddos in the room, so I'm going to curtail a little bit of that conversation. But all of the stuff that we see, the depression, the anxiety, and the end result of that, all of that stuff comes from a world that says, my life is meaningless, your life is meaningless, let's just engage in that meaninglessness. And God wants you to hear, wants you to know that your life is meaningful as a result. So, where am I at here? <laughs> you are all sons of God through faith. Man, there's many people today, especially in some of the mainline churches. Uh, mainline churches, uh, people that tend to be religious uh, but aren't necessarily Bible-believing people, they believe in God. You may be one of those people. Maybe people that live out in the country out here tend to be relatively conservative. Not everybody in here is conservative. I know that. Uh, but relatively conservative. There's an underlying belief in God. But many people want to say, 
Well, we're all children of God. And in that sense, in that sense, we are children of God. God is our originator. Tim Keller, in one of his sermons about in the, over the same passage, said, just like Henry Ford is the creator, he's the father of the vehicle or of the, the, the car, uh, God is also our father in that sense. He is our creator, but he is not our father in the sense of we are his sons. So in that sense, God is creator, and so he has created us. This is saying there's something additional. There's something more that can be there. Do you want meaning in your life? You have to be intimately connected to your creator. You must be intimately connected with the the one who made you. And he has given us a roadmap to understand what does it mean to be a true child, a son of God? What does that mean? What do, how can we experience that? That's what he's communicating to us. He says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. What's he saying there? He's saying, listen, you're a son of God and here's some proof for you. When you become a Christian, when you put faith in Jesus Christ, you're baptized by the Holy Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit comes in you and you have put on Christ. It's not what God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. It's not what you have done. It's what has been done to you by God. When you became a Christian, when you placed faith in Jesus Christ, you were baptized into Christ and you have put on Christ. Many times when people are baptized, which is a visible representation of what has happened spiritually and internally inside of you, what they did in, you know, historically was that they put on white garments. They put on white garments to, to show like the perfection of Christ that comes to you, that you do not possess in and of yourself. But what, what uh, the Apostle Paul is trying to say here is you cannot get Christ by doing something. It has been done for you. When you are baptized in the water through water baptism, what it's showing is it's saying this. This is what has happened to me, and I, in obedience, am following through with this, and I'm being raised to life. My old self is being put to death in Christ. My new self is being raised with him, and as a result, I have put on Christ. Paul's point to you and to me is this. You did not do it. God has done it for you in Christ Jesus. Look at the second thing here. He says, there, in, uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Now, why, did, why does he say that? Well, all of these people are uh, Jewish. So the Jewish morning prayer uh, that many Jews would have prayed, including Paul, William Barclay says this, a Jewish man thanks Uh, God every morning that you have not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Paul takes that prayer and reverses it. The old distinctions have gone. All are now one in Christ. What's happening there? The apostle Paul says this, like you are not more acceptable to God because you're a man now. You're not, you're not more acceptable to God because you're a Jew. You're not more acceptable to God because you're free versus a slave. He has erased all of those distinctions. Not that gender itself is erased, but gender as a qualifier is erased. Paul says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's slave nor free. 
We are all one in Christ. There's something that happens to us as a result of relationship with Jesus through faith that transforms who we are and causes us to to be one. We are one here. So when churches fight, when people get in battles together, what's, what's being missed? What's being missed? They're missing the oneness that is brought to us in Christ. They're, they're missing that. When, when Christian people refuse to hang out with other Christian people, when, when I'm a, a, a white middle-class man and I can't bring myself to love someone who is an undocumented immigrant, who is a believer, that's a problem. We are all one in Christ. They are not less than. They are somebody who belongs in Christ. And we, are, we have more in common with someone who doesn't speak our language, with someone who's, who is from a different country than our uh, white middle-class friend who lives next door to us as believers. We have more in common with someone like that because we are one in Christ, spiritually speaking. And that should come out in who we are and what we are like with one another. Look at what else he says here, verse 29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. You, you have to reverse it to really understand it. If, if the, 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 the Jewish people during that day, the people who were legalistic, they would say, you are only Christ's if you obey the laws of Moses. You are only uh, uh, a Christian if you obey all the rules and only then, if you obey the rules just exactly right, then you might get in. I was talking to my Jehovah's Witness uh, neighbor one time, and I said, so tell me about the 144,000. It talks about it in Revelation. They use this passage to say that only 144,000 people are getting in. Uh, and I, so I said, so let me get this right. Like, you've got to make sure that you are really good and don't step out of line because you want to be a part of that 144,000. Okay, cool. How many... Uh, Jehovah's Witness are there in the world. Okay, your odds are real bad, dude. Real bad. I like the odds of Christianity because it's not based on me doing what's right. It's based on this. In Christ, what happens then is this, is that I become part of Abraham's offspring, which means that my life is it, through Christ is a part of this biblical history. And as a result, what happens is this, is that I become an heir. I become someone who's a part of the family and I get that promise. But it's not about what I've done. It's about what he has done. Okay, look at verse, uh, I'm sorry, chapter four, verse one. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. I think that's one of the more complicated things that's said here. And what's, what's, what, he's, what he's trying to communicate to us is this, is that even if you were like a, a, a child 
of a wealthy man. If you were a child of a wealthy man, you still are kind of treated like a slave. You have somebody who's a guardian. In that culture, they would have had a servant or a slave who oversaw that child. That child couldn't go here or there without permission. It may, everything may be the child's eventually because he's written into the will. Everything may be his, but he still doesn't have it yet, and so he's living like a slave. Paul is communicating to these people. He's saying this, you're acting as though you are still a slave. Even though you might uh, be in the right family and all of this other stuff, you're still acting like you are a slave. Even though you own everything, you're still acting like this and you're enslaved to these elementary principles of the world. What's the elementary principles of the world? Don't kill, don't steal, don't uh, cheat, don't what, whatever. Ten commandments. Those are the elementary principles. You're enslaved to those, he says. That's what you were. What are the elementary principles that we deal with today? The elementary principles of the world are this. I need people's approval in order to get on in life. I need to feel like people approve of me. I need to have a sense that I am doing a good job. And so as a result, I, I work hard at my job. As a result, I try, to, I try to make people happy in my life. As a result, I'm trying, to, uh, I'm trying to get along in life so that people will think highly of me. The elementary principles of the world are the idea that like, I need people's uh, approval and so I'm gonna do what's right. I'm gonna act in this particular way. I'm gonna try to earn money so that I look like I have it together. I drive a nice truck or car. I live in a nice house, that kind of thing. Those are the elementary principles of the world. They're dominating you. However, they also serve in some ways to make the world better, but it also makes the world worse at the same time. These are the elementary principles of the world. You can do that with approval. You can say, I want people's approval. You can say that to God. I want, God, I want your approval, and I'm just going to work for it, and I'm just going to work for it, and I'm just going to work for it. I'm going to try to make it happen. You can say to God, God, I just want you to be my boss. I've seen somebody with a bumper sticker that says, Jesus is my, my boss, or, or something like that. But Jesus is so much more than your boss. People look at God and they say, I want, I want your approval. I, I want you to be my boss. I want, you to, I want you to be that for me. There's the idea of, of comfort. That we long for comfort. The elementary principles of the world are, I have to comfort myself. Only I can do this for myself. Only I can make myself feel comforted. And my, my upbringing... As a child, I oftentimes felt that way, where I was like, you know what? No one's looking out for me, and so I've got to comfort myself. I've got to make myself feel good. And in some ways, what happened was this, is that I got through life in that way. But it can happen through comfort. What are the other elementary principles of the world? It can happen through trying to gain our own security. It can happen through saying, you know what? I always felt unsafe as a child. And so I will always make myself feel safe.
I have always felt unsafe as a child, and so I will try to make myself feel safe. I will try to bring my own security. I think I felt that way as a, as, as a child as well. I experienced it many times where it was like, hey, no one else is looking out for me, so I'm gonna look out for myself. No one else is, is going to help me, so I will help myself. I will be my own security. Or control. When everything else feels out of balance, when life feels out of control, I will take control of everything in my life. I will be the one to secure what's happening in my world. We, we can do that through making money. We can do that through trying to gain a degree. We can, we can do that through uh, any type of business endeavor. We can do that in our families. We can do that through yelling at our children when they don't do what we want. We can do that uh, to, our, to our wives or to our spouse when we try to take control of situations. We're subject to the elementary principles of the world. And we live like a slave to this. Like I live like a slave because I have to have people's uh, approval. I live like a slave because I have to have uh, comfort. I live like a slave because I have to have security. I live like a slave because I have to have control. This is what we were before coming to Christ. This is what life is like. This is what our world is up against over and over again. I must get your approval for what I'm doing in my life. And if you don't approve of what I'm doing, then to heck with you. That's what our world is saying, and that is what we are also subjecting our world to. When we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. This is a base way to live. It's a slavery that we live by. Just another moment on that. When you look at social media, oftentimes what you see over and over again is this stuff coming out. It's the worst of the worst coming out. And it says this. It says, I need to be in control of my life in these ways. And as a result, what's taking place is that we see the chaos of our world. But what has happened as a result? How has God changed this scenario? Verse four says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't go to the cross just to kind of pay for, uh, for sins kind of in this uh, ethereal way that it's just kind of out there or whatever. He went purposefully so that we might receive adoption. It's so that we could be included in the family. It's so that we could be a part of this thing that Jesus has for us. It's so that we could enter into the family of God. Jesus did that not just to say, all right, all is forgiven now. Now get your act together. No, it's saying, I want you not to just be saved from your sins, but that you would enter into a relationship with me that is so incredible that I adopt you as a son. Now, normally when you have 
in the scriptures, you have this idea of sons of God. Oftentimes, modern translators say, well, it's not just talking about sons, it's talking about children of God. It's talking about men and women, because in their day, they would have only referred to sons in a masculine way, uh, uh, but uh, today, we want to refer to both. What this is talking about is it's saying this, no, you get the status of a son that only a son could have in their society, even as a woman, even as a slave, even as another race. You get the status as a son and you get to become a part of the family of God. You're adopted in and all of the rights and privileges of sonship come to you as a result. That's what it says. So what, what happened there? How did it change? It changed because God decided that this is what was going to happen. I'm going to send the son. He's going to be born of a woman. He's going to experience being under the law, but he's going to live perfectly and then be put to death in order to redeem, in order to buy back, in order to save, in order that you could experience something. He changed your status. And so it says this, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his sons, his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, all of that to say this, these people are saying, these religious people, these legalists are saying, you can't experience God until you do all the right things. And the Apostle Paul is saying, you have got it backwards. That God, when he saves you, he gives you the experience through his spirit. He not only changes your status, but he also changes your experience. He changes your status with the Son and he brings you experience with the Spirit. That's what John Stott says. In fact, I've got a quote right here when he says this. He sent his son that we might have the status of sonship, and he sent his spirit that we might have an experience of it. This comes through the affectionate, confidential intimacy of our access to God in prayer in which we find ourselves assuming the attitude and using the language not of slaves but of sons. Do you feel like a slave to God? Because this is what God is telling us through this passage. When you become a believer and you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit enters into your life and he enters into your life and it says that he cries, Abba, Father. What does that mean? It means this. It means that when the Spirit comes into your life, he brings the desire. He brings the longing. He brings the experience of saying, you are my dad. You are my true father. You are the one. You, you're, you're the one that loves me. You're the one that cares for me. You are the one that has allowed me to have relationship with you. Paul's saying there, I don't know where you're at in this moment. How uh, close or far away from God you believe that you are. But the idea that you're close to God because you haven't screwed up recently 
is wrong. You are as close to God as you will ever be. And it is an intimate closeness. The moment that you sinned last, the moment that you uh, screwed up, the spirit is a part of your life. And he is crying out, Abba, Father, and he is causing you and bringing about in your life the experience of sonship, not just the change of status, but the experience of it. And over and over again, in all of the, the commentaries that I'm reading, there's these commentators say, I mean, we, we, we can't be looking for some kind of outlandish experience of this or that or the other thing. It's just this quiet, intimate voice that just says, Papa, Dad, you love me. I love you. And I don't know if you've experienced that before. I just think there's been times in my life where I've just been like, you know, God, I don't know why I love you. I don't know why. And I could instantly change into a, you know what? I'm just that good. That's why I'm a pastor. I know how to love you good. And so that's, that's, what, I, that's what I do. I do it well. That's why I'm teaching other people. No. God, I don't know why I keep walking with you. God, I don't, don't know why... I keep loving, God, why do I pray to you? Why do I talk to you? It's the spirit who's coming inside of me and he's, he is causing me to reach out to God, my father. And so what, what do I want you to do through this? Some of you haven't even experienced the status change because you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. And faith in Jesus Christ has to be in this reality that if you were to walk in front of the x-ray machine of the law, that it would show lots of cancer, dude. You'd be stage four and on your deathbed. If you were to walk in front of that x-ray machine, that is what you would experience. Some of you haven't experienced that status change. And it's as simple as this. It's... It is believing that Jesus is God and that his life, born of a woman, born under the law, he redeemed you. It's, it's, it is an exclamation point saying, yes, that was for me. It's an acknowledgement of, of that. Some of you have, have not experienced that status and it's time for you to acknowledge, yes, Jesus loves me. And he died for me. And he went to the cross. Some of you have made that profession of faith. And you've said, yes, Jesus loves me. But he only loves me when I do what he wants me to do. And Paul wants you to hear something. God wants you to hear. Jesus is speaking to you through this passage. And he's saying this. He's saying, he loves you so intensely that he gave you the spirit. And that through that spirit, you would cry out, Abba. That you would, the, the word Abba, it means, it's, it's like kid talk. It's saying, it's not this stoic, holy father, we thank you today. No, it's dad. Hey, Dad, you love me. 
some of you have experienced the status, but you haven't experienced the absolute change. Jonathan Edwards has this great sermon that it's called the divine and supernatural light. And he says, there's a difference between knowing that honey is sweet and having an experience of tasting honey. Some of you have not tasted and seen that the Lord is good and seen the change that can happen as a result. Your life changes not because you followed the rules, but because the only perfect rule follower loves you so intensely that he gave you the spirit of God to testify in your hearts and to say, you are an heir, you're a son. You are loved intensely. And the last verse again, so you're no longer a slave, but if a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. If we could get that, life could be different. Let's go to communion here. The ushers are gonna be bringing forward um, communion, and if you haven't been with us before, uh, we just hop up and, and grab this, and thank you. grab that and then we'll, we'll partake together. Would you just bow your heads with me? I think the I think a lot of times we come to communion if we're a believer and we're like the prodigal son who comes back to his dad and says, Dad, I'm so sorry I sinned against you. I just want you to be my boss. I'll just act like I'm a servant. kisses the son. He just kisses him. Because it's weird if you kiss your employees, right? And I don't think we should be making jokes during communion, but that one was too easy. Um, but I just, would you bow your heads with me and just, I wonder if you could just take a moment and just say, do I act like a slave or am I acting like a to the sun. How have I been just trying to operate within the elementary principles of the world and instead of allowing God to be my approval, my comfort, my security, my control, how have 
I've been trying to take over and make my life work? What areas have I just been just trying to work for God? Or maybe it's not even for God. Maybe what areas have I been, I've just been trying to be something. Lord, may we say that in prayer. May we concentrate on that.